Having your leg almost blown off was much easier than having it reassembled, regrafted, and rehabilitated. The blowing your leg off thing, well, that was quick, easy, automatic. You just joined the army, deployed to Baghdad with the 710th Explosive Ordnance Disposal Company, and start taking daily missions to seek and destroy improvised explosive devices, IEDs, better known as roadside bombs. After 237 days in Iraq, after some 300 successful missions fueled by radio jammers and armor-plated robots, you find out that your high-tech gadgets can't stop all the low-tech explosives when a farmer and a donkey find a hidden pressure plate behind you. Dylan should have considered himself lucky. Clausen, the second man in his three-person squad, shielded him from most of the blast. Clausen was the one who insisted they scavenge for extra iron and steel around Baghdad, haul it back to their workshop at Camp Victory, and weld it to their Humvee for extra protection. In a cruel, ironic twist, it hadn't been the hillbilly armor on the Humvee that had taken the blast. It had been Clausen himself. Lucky, of course, wasn't the word Clausen would have used. He would have said chosen. Did say chosen, in fact. He told Dylan they were chosen many times in their months together. Clausen always said that like it was a good thing. Dylan knew better now. And once again, the whole blowing up bit, that was the easy part. How long had the explosion lasted? Couple of seconds followed by the hollow echo of the blast reverberating, something Dylan hadn't heard because his ears had only picked up a steady whine, as if one long, looping broadcast of the emergency broadcast system were playing inside his head. Then it was over. Not even painful, really, even as one of the sixty-eight whiskies, the combat medics, screamed inside the chaos while hovering over him. Not that he'd heard the medics screaming— that high-pitched whine drowned out everything for Dylan, but he could tell the medic was screaming because even when you watch a silent movie, you get a sense of what's happening on the screen. The pain didn't sink its jaws into him until he awoke the next morning, which suggested he had drifted to sleep, or something like it, during that night, maybe that afternoon. He didn't remember much of that, didn't remember much of anything following the boom of the Humvee, whine of the ears, scream of the medic sequence, which was just as well, perhaps, because it saved him from the first part of the reassemble the muscle, regraft the skin, rehabilitate the leg sequence. That part was most definitely filled with screams as well, screams he heard quite well, because they were his own. That bothered him, the inability to remember, because Dylan was precise part of what had drawn him to enlisting. He found comfort in the delineations and absolute order of military life. Waking at the same time each day, eating at the same time, following exact orders, reporting detailed observations. It was all about order, compartmentalization, numbers, comfort. I said, do you want more coffee? Dylan blinked his eyes feeling their dryness for the millionth time, resisting their urge to rub them. Rubbing them only made it worse. He focused on Webb, sitting in the passenger seat of the pickup, granular snow, buffeted by the wind of the eastern Montana plains, sprayed against the window that framed Webb's scruffy face. Old, gritty snow, 
punished by the ever-present winds. It reminded him of the gritty sand of Iraq in some ways, even sitting here in the opposite temperature extreme. "'You're not in Iraq,' a voice said inside his head. "'Thanks for pointing that out, Joni,' he answered mentally. "'Just saying.' "'Well, just don't. Not right now.' Dylan let out a long breath, looked at Webb, shook his head. "'Nah, I'm good. I'm golden.' He glanced at his watch. They had been parked here exactly seventeen minutes and thirty-two seconds. "'Yeah, you're the golden boy.' Webb unscrewed the cap of the metal thermos, poured some dark, lukewarm liquid into a mug that said, I won a Pulit Prize, on the chipped exterior. Why don't you get a travel mug? Dylan asked. Actually keep your coffee warm. Webb took a drink from his stained mug, smacked his lips extravagantly. Give up my lucky Pulit surprise cup? Not until you pull it from my cold, dead hands. Yeah, well, your hands are cold because your coffee's always cold. Webb shrugged. Least my cup's always half full. You're the guy who looks at everything half empty.